Man. Thank you, worship team. Wow. Part of me wants to keep doing that, but part of me knows that that's a setup. Look, I got a, I got a grand slam ready to preach for you today. Um, listen, the Valley, we're, we're closing our series today called Graves into Gardens. And I think the sight of your greatest loss in life could be the sight of your greatest victory when God gets his hands on it and turns it around. The thing that has kept you out and in your mind you're like, I can't because that very, the place of your greatest defeat is going to be the place of your greatest victory one day. How pastor? I don't know. Ask God when you get to heaven, but that's what he does. Ezekiel said, then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Listen to what they're saying. You might have heard this this week, but our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. There's nothing left of us. How many people have like, oh, that's it. We're done. I feel like our nation has just been bleeding hope for a year. And I think it's time that God is going to restore hope. God takes Ezekiel and sets him right in the middle of a valley of dry bones. There's no way to get that many bones in a valley unless an army went down there and died. And that's what had happened in in this particular case, in in the prophetic. And uh, it says, therefore, God says, prophesy. He doesn't say get angry. He doesn't say kick and scream. He doesn't say dehumanize the people who disagree with you. He doesn't say eat a lot of candy because that makes you feel better. Although it would and some of you could use a bit. He says prophesy. He says do what you can do so that I can unleash myself upon your people. But I can't do it until I have your permission and your request. You have not because you ask not. Tell them, God the master says, I'll, I'll dig up your graves and bring you out alive, oh my people. Anybody want to do some grave digging today? I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to go down to the valley of dry bones. I'm going to show you that not everything that looks like dry bones is dry bones. I think the devil just puts a camera on a few of them and puts it up on the jumbotron. He says, I'll... I'll take you straight to the land of Israel. When I dig up graves and bring you out as my people, you'll realize that I am God and it's about time. I'll breathe my life into you and you'll live. Then I'll lead you straight back to your land and you'll realize that I am God. Why does he keep saying that? Because we don't know it yet. Because he is God. I've said it and I'll do it. God's decree. Man, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. Come on, Venue Church. Let's give God a round of applause. All right. Thanks, Sean. Last week we said that a godly results that benefits a godly result that benefits the whole also benefits the individual, and the ends justifies the means in a human fashion doesn't work because along the way you have to make deals with things that make it bad for the individual in the long run to get a result. There's only a result in the flesh, but a spiritual result by the hand of heaven means that the best thing for your family is also the best thing for your individual. Now I know that you want to be the one who decides that. But when God decides what the best result is and the best way, then everything gets redeemed and everything works together. And what's good for the individual is the same thing as what's good for and vice versa for the whole. Now, human shortcuts based on limited knowledge lead us to Skeleton Valley. You didn't know he was cute, but he was dumb. And you didn't know. (laughs) <laughs> One husband is laughing. That's not useless was a laugh then. It's you. No. 
Human knowledge based, human shortcuts based are based on human knowledge and human knowledge is always either incomplete or there's too much of it. So, so when a truck driver is driving down uh, and a deer jumps out in front of him, he doesn't need to know a hundred thousand things about his vehicle. He just needs to know where the brake is. And this is the difference between human wisdom because, uh, between human, uh, I should say between human knowledge and the wisdom from heaven. Here's the difference. Knowledge is just facts about things. So we're going to look at some stats today, some facts about things. But if you don't have a spirit of wisdom, you're going to take the facts and you're going to twist them into what you already think. You're going you're gonna to look for things that already agree with what you already think because you're human and that's what we do. And so, so you, you see your husband do that thing again and you're like, I knew it. And God's like, but it's not the same as it was. I knew it. Well, you're putting it into a, a category. You're putting it into a graph that you already have made. And so, so human knowledge is limited and there's too many red herrings. In fact, more knowledge is almost bad because you might only need two pieces of knowledge in a situation to know what's going on. In your teenager, like knowing a hundred things about them, you just need to know two things about them that the Holy Spirit could tell you so that you can get the right result. Because wisdom filters information and gives you the right information at the right time to get the right result in the right way. That's the difference. Now, have you ever, have you ever taken a shortcut? I am a per I love shortcuts. Any shortcut? If there's a short way to do it on our, on our honeymoon in, in where were we Aaron? Nova Scotia. I'm not going to tell you about that. You gross, but we took a trip around. I don't know why I would say, why would I say that? It's so weird. We took a trip around the Cabot trail. Listen. The whole idea was that we're supposed to go around and look at all the trees and stuff like that and how beautiful it was. But you know what I spent the entire time doing? Passing everybody and racing. Do you know where you're going? No, but I got there real fast. Anybody? Do you know where you... No, no, it's the max power way. Do you watch The Simpsons? I'm not telling you you should, but somebody who did told me this. <laughs> he wants to change his name. Homer wants to change his name to max power. And uh, he goes, there's the, the right way and then there's the wrong way and then there's the max power way. And Bart Simpson says, isn't that the wrong way? He said, yeah, but faster. Yeah. yeah, that's my life. That's the story of my life. I'm kind of a little impatient. Um, anybody take shortcuts? Human shortcuts, they always end up as long cuts, and they're always a really bad idea. They always lead down into Skeleton Valley. They always lead down into things that are real dumb. I, um, one time, a friend of mine lent me uh, his drone back in the days when drones came out, and... Uh, $430 drone and rather than experiment on it out in the open, I took it where my maple trees were and it flew up and got stuck in the maple tree. And I'm like, now I'm embarrassed. Come on, this is going to be so good. Now I'm embarrassed and I don't have five minutes to get the extension ladder out of the shed right there. And there was a broom handle right here. I got it out of the tree. Then I had to explain to my wife why I was writing Ben Wirtz a check for $430 because it was broken. <laughs> a story of my life. If there's one store I hate, it's Ikea. I don't know what, the, what we did to the Swedes, but now it's full of cool stuff, but the trouble is they made it like a, you're a rat in a maze and you just, and finally, like I, I'm taking shortcuts, but I keep ending back at the office chairs and I'm like, I don't want office chairs. I don't even, I just want to leave. I'm back at the office chairs again. I'm like, I thought I was getting out here. And finally I said to one person, cause Aaron sent me in to pick up one item and it took me, you know, 49 minutes later, I'm still wandering around crying, you know, like a little girl and there's, you know, staff's like, Hey, can I help you? I'm like, can I, I'll buy anything. If you just kind of, can you walk me to the exit? <laughs> you know, I just want to get out here. I just came for the cheap breakfast and, and uh, 
shortcuts, human shortcuts always go down into Skeleton Valley because you're dealing with limited knowledge and you lack the, the spirit of wisdom sometimes to know, to know what happened. Now, now um, I'm going to be talking today about, about COVID and we're going to go down into the Valley of Dry Bones and actually look at some stats, the hardest ones to look at. I think you have the courage to do that. This is definitely the, I, I went in yesterday and I told Pastor Aaron, I'm like, this is the trickiest sermon I've ever had to preach by like a multiple of 10 maybe. And she's like, you know what she said to me? It's nice having a loving wife. She's like, well, don't screw it up for us. <laughs> is, is what she definitely said. 100%. That's what I remember. 100%. <laughs> she, I just made that up. Because some of you are worshiping Pastor Aaron. You shouldn't. You should worship the Lord. <laughs> Wait, but that wasn't even true about her. Hey, it's time to stop thinking, everybody. What we're not going to do is play a blame game and start saying it's my fault or your fault. Or. Um, and then I remembered, you know how it is, you know how it is when every, every, you know, it's the worst thing of your life and you're just in the middle of an argument. And you're like, you're so wrong and I'm so right. And I'm like, this is the worst sermon I've ever had to preach. It's the trickiest one. And then God's like, it's the worst one you've ever had to preach. And I've realized, oh no, there was one in Africa that I had to preach. It's funny how selective your memory gets, right? One in Africa I had to preach where the pastor who we'd had contact with for 10 years there, where he just told us that week that his he thought his wife was trying to poison him. And I preached in his church on Sunday morning and I didn't sleep all Saturday night because, well, he said his wife was trying to poison him and that's weird. <laughs> and guess who my interpreter was going to be that day as I walked up on stage? His wife. So I had to make a last minute change there because I'm like, I don't know if I can trust you or not. I'm not sure who's poisoning so anyways, that was definitely more awkward than the one I'm preaching today. So just promise that you'll like me by the time we're done because most people there did. Now, have you ever taken shortcuts? See, human shortcuts always lead into the skeleton valley. Human shortcuts is like, hey, I'm because we're so, we're so dang proud. You can fail 70 times in a row, but the 71st time you're 100% sure of yourself. And you trust your stupid brain. And your stupid brain was the thing that got you in trouble in the first place. It talks you into every sin that you ever did was your own brain. And we trust it. Like, no, I've been very intelligent. Well, sometimes we're not, you know, um, Christian parents, this is what happens. Can I just, can I just do a little, story? I'm going to be a little hard on Christian parents now because you are tempted to take shortcuts. We're tempted to take shortcuts. My parents didn't take these shortcuts, but a lot of my friends growing up in my generation, their parents took these shortcuts. And let me just hit two of the hot topics of the day. If you grew up in church culture, you'll be like, oh yeah, that, that happened. If you didn't, you're like, Christians got problems. <laughs> you're, not, you're not wrong. Okay. So here's what we heard. Because our parents came from kind of the wild party scene, a lot of them. They didn't grow up in church, so they came, a lot of them came from... And they didn't want their kids wrecking their lives like they did. And so, so there were some hot topics. One was rock and roll. And, and they, because of the experiences that they'd had, they, they took a wisdom issue, which is music. Music is just a thing. Hitting a drum, is, it's a thing. Playing a guitar is a thing. There's no such thing as a Christian guitar. It's a guitar. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a how do I say this, a Christian hammer. A Christian may swing the hammer, but it's just a hammer. So it's a wisdom issue who you hire as a carpenter in your house. It's a wisdom issue what kind of rock and roll your kids listen to. But this is what, what we heard, uh, my friends heard anyways, was God hates rock and roll. It was, it was a shortcut. Because what begins in the realm of wisdom, 
you got to be careful because if you make it a moral issue, it's a shortcut. The devil's been doing this in your brain for years. It's a moral issue. You have to win that argument because you're morally right. When it's a wisdom issue. It's a wisdom issue. The difference between a parent telling their kids, okay, so, and actually taking the energy it takes to raise kids. It just, it was a shortcut because they were a bit lazy and they didn't know what to do. And here's, can I say this? It starts with fear. You cannot lead people afraid. Fearful people always go back in the time of war when you got to go ahead. Listen, every hardship in your life, every grave is an opportunity for a garden, but fearful people make it a grave and then put it in another grave. And you've got to be, you're afraid. The reason you argue the way you do in your marriage is because you're afraid and fear always leads to anger and anger leads to outrage. And the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear, which means God has never been afraid during this last year for you. He is not afraid. He cannot be afraid because he is love and he is all powerful. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Outrage. See, fear takes energy away. It bleeds energy. We have to fill it somehow. And so outrage is what fills energy. Outrage. If you get angry at somebody, it brings energy, right? And this year has depleted us as a nation. We're just, we're scared. And so it's depleted us. And so what they, what we keep seeing on, on news is outrage of like fear, because if they can make you afraid, then you'll get outraged about something and then it'll bring energy. And it's kind of the, it's a shortcut. And so, so what parents did is, is they made a, a, a wisdom issue, a moral issue. Never make a wisdom issue, a moral issue. Keep it in the wisdom box. They made it and they said, God hates rock and roll. Why? And here's what you want to know what my friends heard. Why? Because there's a lot of drums in it and it makes me feel weird and drums. There's a, you know, it sounds like jungle music. What does that mean? Well, there's drums in like Africa and there's witch doctors there who probably play, play drums. I'm not kidding. Like I'm not making this up on the spot. This is what some of my friends, parents told them. A shortcut. Why? Because once you make a decision, you find information that agrees with your decision. So they made it a moral issue. Why? Because your kids can't argue with God. Your spouse can't argue with you if you th honestly think that you're speaking for God. There are some times that you do, but it's not a lot. And careful, because if you step on God's toes, who will intercede for you? If you say God said something when he didn't, I don't want to be, a, I don't, I'm not going to that party. Another thing that I heard Christian parents say is God hates alcohol. God hates alcohol. Well, this is very confusing when kids learn how to read because the Bible's like, and Jesus turns water into wine. See, Paul, the apostle clears this up for us. He's like, Hey guys, I'm going to put the boundary. I'm going to put the, the, the thing at the side of the road that keeps you from driving into the cliff. Let's call it drunkenness. Don't get drunk because on the other side, it leads to, it doesn't say this is sin. It leads to sin. It leads to destruction, but it says, but you should be drunk. You should be filled with the spirit. And so a lot of people were like, they weren't drinking uh, enough wine to get drunk, but they definitely weren't drinking enough of the spirit to lose control. And so I don't know which is worse. I do know which is worse. I'm just letting you. So this is why they God hates alcohol. Why? Because they'd made a lot of mistakes around it and a lot of sin happened after the alcohol. And so, so it became this thing that God hates something that God doesn't actually hate because Jesus turned water to wine. And then I, I heard in Bible class in high school, this is very confusing for a kid who isn't a dummy. Well, it was non-alcoholic wine. Why? Because they had to support their decision. <coughs> this is not COVID. I just, 
Now, how dare you? Come on, can we laugh a little bit? You know, the devil's scared of you when he's trying to get you all depressed and sad and, or holy or whatever you think it is. If you can laugh in the face of the enemy, because you win in the end. Haven't you read the end of the Bible? We win, right? So have a little faith. <clears throat> so what happens is, um, so they made it a moral issue when it wasn't a moral issue because you can't evaluate a moral issue. So this is where as a servant of Christ, I can actually command Christ followers like, hey, no, get along with each other. This is not optional. We're not talking, this is not a discussion. Love, love, love. Forgive, get on with your life, let's go. Too much drama. I can command because on, on a, the basis of morality. But keep the wisdom issues in the wisdom issues, please, because wisdom needs to be evaluated on results. <clears throat> and so that's what they, they did. <clears throat> and besides, how much non-alcoholic wine would you have to drink to not be able to know what wine tasted like anymore? Because yeah. the, the, the master of the feast says, hey, most people wait until everybody's like kind of good and happy. And then they bring out the bad wine, but you brought the good wine out here. And I remember thinking as a kid, how much non-alcoholic wine have they drunk if they're good and happy now? Like a whole bucket of wine? And they just like drank too much? And that, you know, anyways, it doesn't make any sense. But see, here's what happens. Fear turns off your brain. And anger brings energy. And outrage sells. We are addicted as a nation to outrage. Um, so now, can I go back? Can I go back a year in time? A pandemic strikes. And uh, we took a shortcut. Because we're human. And we just do it. Um, we took a shortcut based on fear. People were afraid for the first time of dying. I don't think most people had ever thought, like, I'm going to die. No, I hate to break it to you. Can, can we just, just start here? Like, you're probably going to die. Like 100%. <laughs> like, even Jesus died before he was resurrected. But the good news is that you get resurrected. So it, it only happens for a blip of time, and then Christ follower, you're back, you're in heaven, so... But, but everybody else was afraid, and I get it, because death is the worst thing that can happen to you if you're far from God, and I get it, right? So, so the whole thing started with this argument of saving lives. Can you agree that saving lives was the most important thing when, all the, when a pandemic strikes? Like, saving lives. We have to save as many lives as possible. And people did the best. I'm going to believe this about them. They did the best job that they could, but they were afraid. Now, fear... Remember, fear loses the war no matter how many people you have, no matter how big your guns are, fear loses the war. Because fear makes you go back when you have to go forward. And so, um, so what happened was the spotlight ever since then has been on fear. It's always been on the worst case scenario. You're not, what we're not hearing is the good stories. We're not hearing the, and, and isolating us made it easy, even easier because everything on your screen has to outrage you to keep you there to sell you the next thing. So as long as you're outraged. Now, the thing that it's doing is it's outraging both sides of the argument. Yeah. It's just outrage, outrage. And then it will collect you with people who have already made the same decision that you did. And it will collect you there so that you're all equally outraged. And you're not hearing the other side of the argument anymore. Yeah. You're just surrounded by people who already made the same decision as you. Because the only way to correct you, once the devil gets you stuck in an idea, he'll build entire arguments. He'll build a city on one foundation stone that is an idea. And when he... And, but what if the idea itself is flawed? Yep. Then every argument that's out here is built on this, and every argument is flawed. There's something wrong with it. And so we started with what it should have started with, which was save lives. I'm going to show you what that moved uh, into in a second. But we kept the camera on the tragedy, and then we, then we, we took a shortcut. Because the, the, the bureaucrats in the decision-making in Canada 
they didn't have time to defend themselves or explain themselves because at the time the whole world was swept up in, in how deadly this thing was going to be. I don't blame anybody. They took a shortcut because if I tell my, if I tell my daughter God hates rock and roll, it gets compliance immediately. It also means she can't question me. She can't evaluate. She can't, we're not, we don't need to look at numbers and stats anymore. We don't need to actually look at this band versus that band and listen to the lyrics. And we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We have a command, right? And so this is what happened. And, and then what happened is the isolation happened. And, and, but here's where we made a massive mistake. We made a wisdom issue. Every sickness is a wisdom issue. We made it a moral issue. We took a shortcut. I know why we did it, but it, we, we made it a moral issue. And then, because it was based on fear, that's where the hate erupted. Because the devil will always divide you. He'll always try to, to divide you. Um, then it became a moral issue. If you love people, these are the precautions you'll take. Well, how does standing five foot, ten inches away from you, that's now hate? I thought God only decided what moral issues were and what hate and love were. And it alarms me very much when a government starts preaching to the religious leaders about what hate and love are. Because governments know? Uh, yikes! Because that's never turned out poorly for the population. What you if you don't do this, you hate... Whoa, whoa, it was, it was just a... It was a human shortcut. It just didn't... Now... Now here's the thing. Then it went into this weird little thing where it's like, you're not risking your life anymore. You're risking everybody else's life because you might carry it. Well, if an argument works, if you're going to argue that, then it has to work in the small and it has to work in the, that's what logic does. It makes sense for everything in the argument. So if that's the case then, and here's where we went wrong because we're trying to save lives. Now you can bend rules and you can, you can bend rules if you save somebody's life, right? The argument didn't stay there, though. It, it moved to different keywords, and, and that's where I think all the di division came from. And so rather than, now every time I get in my car and get out onto the road then, now I'm risking your life, as opposed to risking my life. But I'm not allowing you to make your own decision about your own risk level that's acceptable to you. So either you're going to have to walk everywhere, but walking is dangerous too, because it's like hard on your legs and... I hate walking. Walking wasn't part of the deal. Okay. Anyways, um, now here's the deal we have on, on both sides of this. I don't know which side you're on. We have the COVID fighters and then we have the freedom fighters. My job as a servant of Christ and your job in the world is not to be in either camp. The devil wants you in, the devil wants you in one of these two camps. My job as a pastor is to be like, act more like Jesus, act more like Jesus. Because the devil wants you divided and, and fear is at the basis of this group, this group, the COVID fighters, like we have to keep people from dying of COVID. Um, we have to keep, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, right? Like we agree that people dying of COVID is awful and horrible and tragic. But on this side, we have like, well, because of the lockdowns, because of this thing, we're losing our freedom. Well, that's a valid argument. Polish newspapers are making fun of Canada right now because we gave it up so easily. Well, it's a valid argument. And here's what I would say, though. Can we be, like, just honest for a minute? This side is legal to be in. Why? Because this side is full of hate. But then this side, if you're in this camp, then you look over here and you're like, but you hate all the people who didn't get diagnosed early with cancer. Because cancer still uh, accounts for about a third of the, the death rate. And you don't, and, and 
kids got locked up in their homes with alcoholic parents. And okay, so, but there, is that not a valid argument? And here we are, the devil wants us in one, C.S. Lewis said that the devil brings error into the world in pairs of opposites. And he'll use your natural dislike of one to get you into the other. But the path through is right in the middle. Because we need, ready? We need both sides of the argument to land where we need to land. And so you can't hate. And then this side hates that side and this side hates that side, but that's not the enemy. And the enemy is not COVID. The enemy is fear. The enemy, same team. The enemy is fear. If we approach this in the spirit of God, fearless and full of love, we will beat it. We can beat anything. Now, now, we have to, we have to have the fear of God about not dehumanizing the other side. Because as soon as I say, you hate and you hate, and you don't really love people like I, you are dehumanizing people. As soon as you think that the person that you're having an argument, as soon as you, if the devil can get you to dehumanize them, you'll never accept anything that they have to say ever again. You discredit them. Don't just, they want, they want the same thing. They want something that's good. They're trying to stop people from dying. All right. Now let's look at some crucial data. See, the initial argument was let's save lives. A hundred percent. Absolutely. But as soon as we make it a moral issue, then we can't evaluate whether we're doing this or not. So I'm pulling stats from AHS compiled by AHS, which is a little bit weird to me because they're compiling their own stats, but like, I get it. I mean, they're the hospitals and everything. Am I not allowed freedom of speech? Am I not allowed to like question things? Because I don't think it's a moral thing and I don't think that they're incorruptible and I don't, they're just people doing the best job that they can. But I mean, this is a crisis that nobody in the world had faced in our generation. You're not going to get it right. I mean, who gets, who, the first time that you do something, do you get it right? Well, no, nobody does. And so what we have to do is we have to have grace and we have to get rid of fear. So. So we're going to look at the crucial, because if saving lives is the most important thing, then the data, we finally have data now about the death rate. Are you ready? Now the devil will disguise the Valley of Dry Bones. He'll add projections to make it look worse than it is, because if he can get you afraid, he'll add your bones to the pile too. And so, um, so here's, here's a crucial, crucial statement. You ready? It's the how many people died. You ready? Ready? If you get one thing with COVID versus how many people died from COVID. Hugely crucial, hugely crucial. How many people died with COVID? How many people died from COVID? So we don't test fatalities for foot fungus. Let me just be ridiculous because I've heard a hundred thousand arguments on this side. And a lot of them are ridiculous. Okay. So can I be ridiculous? Maybe on the freedom fight, they would say, well, we don't, we don't, we don't test people for foot fungus after they die because who cares? Because foot fungus, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Paul's going to be like, it absolutely kills people. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> you know, so anyways, but I don't know. But when they, where, where does the graph, where do they go? Do they go in the foot fungus fatality or do they go? You know, so, um, so if you have massive heart problems and you decide one day that I'm going to climb 87, you find it acceptable risk that you're going to climb 87 flights of stairs and you die on the 87th flight of stairs because it was a really bad decision for somebody with a bad heart. Where does that stat go? What caused it? Stairs? 
or a bad heart. But they died on the stairs. They died with stairs. Yeah, but stairs, it was a, it was a risk that they took that added, that accelerated the condition that caused it. Okay, that's crucial that we understand that. Are you saying, oh, you're saying that COVID is the same thing as foot fungus? <laughs> I'm just being ridiculous because this side gets a turn. Okay? Every side gets a turn to be a little ridiculous, right? Um, so it's a difference between, a, okay, a friend of mine in Cochrane, the way they're compiling numbers in Britain is kind of the same way that they're compiling them in Canada. And so he's, he was a cop in Britain and a cop back here. His brother's brother-in-law, I believe it was, Died in a car accident in 1998, but he's been on life support ever since then. But like brain dead, 1998. His family foreclosure finally decided, you know what? We just pulled the plug in January and that stat is now a COVID fatality. So, so I'm just saying, but if you're trying to save lives, that's a bit understandable because if you can keep people afraid, you might keep them safe. But what we don't understand is that people who are afraid are not safe. It's like riding a motorcycle. If you ride scared, you're much more likely to get into a car. You can't ride scared. You've got to be calm and confident. And so, because we can beat this thing. If you secretly think you're going to lose, you're definitely going to lose. Because we're facing a mountain. We've got to climb it. And so, um, it's the difference between, Pastor Aaron has a, a nurse who's a friend in the cardiac wing in, in Foothills. I can't give you her name because maybe she'd lose her job. But she's like, they're dealing with, in a, the palliative wing of, of, cardi, of the cardiac wing, in Foothills Hospital. And COVID, there was an outbreak. And she's like, because it happens. Like, it's a hospital. That's where sick people are. And the palliative wing is people who have like days or maybe weeks left to live of heart conditions in the cardiac. And so there was an outbreak and, and she can't remember the number, but it was maybe around 15 people died. Now, now where, now look, it's tragic. I've lost all my grandparents. It's hard and it's tragic. But just let me run the numbers out for you in a sec. But these, what did they, did they die with COVID or did they die from COVID? But where were, where was their number put? It's really quiet in here. Is this not making sense to you? Where was the number put? Well, it, it has to be put in the, in the COVID stat. So I'm going to run over this right now. Are you guys ready? We're going to go just down into the valley of the, of the bones and see if it's that bad. Because I want you to be able to fight with a little bit of hope. I think we've been afraid for long enough. We actually have the numbers. So I think that Alberta Health wants us to look at the numbers so that we can be hopeful. Come on. Okay, so here's the most depressing number. 27,000 of us die every year in Alberta, 27,000. That is a normal death rate. It goes up a little bit every year, just more population. But maybe 30,000 babies are born and that brings great joy. And it's the circle of life, we get it. 27,000 people die every year, 27,000. 2,000 of those numbers, when I looked at them, that's over a year period, over a year period, I believe, 2,000 of those uh, are in the COVID, now, now, in the COVID stats, 2,000. So that's 1 13th, less than 1 13th of the normal death rate. You starting to feel a little bit better? Because it's not as fatal as they initially said that it was. And so, isn't that good news? Like, wouldn't they be happy about that too? So 1 13th, but of those... Did they die from COVID or did they die with COVID? Well, let's look at the numbers. 97.6% um, of those who died had at least an, a pre-existing medical condition. 91% had two or more existing pre-existing medical conditions. And the average age of all of those numbers is 81, which is the average age of death in Alberta for anybody. 
Now you're starting to feel like, no, put yourself in that age category and be like, okay, okay. So that means 50 people didn't have pre-existing medical conditions that we know of. Only 50 of that 2,000. And what was their average age? They could have been 90. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so you're starting to, if we can deal with fear, we can deal with the, we can fight COVID. Um, 53% of them had heart conditions. So now we're talking about accelerating something, but causing something that's a very different thing. So maybe you should be concentrating on getting your heart in good shape and eating well and exercising because it helps you rather than sitting home scared and go out for a run, eat better, you know? Um, now saving lives changed and here's, here's what happened. And I think that it changed. I, I don't look, it changed from save lives to stop the spread. Now this adds a whole other group of data and a whole, every other argument that I'm hearing now and everything I see on TV and everything has to do with how many test positive with COVID because the argument would be from this side, because the more that test positive with COVID, the more people die of COVID die of COVID or die with COVID. Remember now. And so, so these numbers here, and it's 175,000 or 200,000 in Alberta. And of those, I mean, even of, of most people are asymptomatic anyway. So we don't even know unless they test positive with COVID. I want to tell you of the dozens of cases I've heard of positive COVID tests of people who didn't even show up for their tests. I want to tell you that, but can you really blame if it's saving lives in their minds, if it's saving lives, but the argument is no longer saving lives because I just told you one thirteenth of the normal death and of the one thirteenth of the 27,000 that normally die, only 101 out of 500 and 540th didn't have pre-existing medical conditions. And of those, the average age might still have been 81. Okay. So relax. So it adds all these other things to it, all these other stats and every other argument built on now on this foundation. Well, we have to start questioning this because if saving lives is the most important thing, then there's the one test that's called comorbidities and, and everything else might be thrown out here to in their minds still make you afraid so that they save your life. But I'm not sure that saving your life, if you're afraid, I think that you have a better chance of dying to a sickness anyways. People with strong minds who are strong, like this cancer is not going to beat me. It's not going to beat me. Surrounded by friends and family. I'm just going to suggest that this side would argue like, hey, it's a valid argument. I think we have to look at it. Um, here's another thing that, that, that bothers me a bit is that we never gave grandpa a choice. As a spiritual leader, can I just say this? We never gave grandpa a choice. We never said, hey, we might be able to extend your life, but you know, you're in the last months of your life right now. We might be able to give you another two months or another year. We might be able to do this, but this is what it might cost your grandchildren. We never gave grandpa the choice. Um, three times, three times of the previous year, like grandpa, we might get you two months and, and try to keep you from this. Cause I got a text from our MLA when this whole thing happened that Prima Kennedy was thinking about locking up the vulnerable, which in retrospect would have been the best, maybe, you know, I'm just saying like, Hey, we might need to do this, but what if grandpa doesn't want to die by himself in a nursing home? What if he wants to go home and die around his family? Is that not his choice? My dad said to me, my dad's in his seventies. And so I've had to deal with this. And I'm thinking my dad's like, son, how old do I have to be to decide if I want to get sick and die? Are you going to put a camera outside of my, this is what my father said. Are you going to put a camera outside of my house and follow me around and make sure that I wear a jacket outside all winter? And I'm like, no, sir. 
My mom says, if you don't bring my grandkids over, I'm going to die. And you're going to die right before that. <laughs> well, from the, from the stats, my kids, you know, that's an acceptable risk. In fact, it's anyways. So grandpa, your, your child this year will have a three times your five to 11 year old grand grandchild will have a three times more possibility of experimenting with self-harm this year. It's a, it's a valid argument. Do we not love children? We do, do love children. And you can't cancel out one or the other. We have to go in the middle. We have to be like, valid, valid. Come on. We got to get along with this thing. No, that's a valid argument. One in six teenagers now have, have actually thought through a plan of suicide. That could be your grandchild. Is, do you want, how, how badly do you want that extra months? We didn't give grandpa the choice, though. And then, I mean, I got, I got so many on this side. I think I, I don't want to over-represent. But I think it's, it's time that we... This isn't illegal anymore. I mean, we got to look at it. Um, yeah. There's so many things I could say there. Talked to a man in August. Three of his friends OD'd on drugs in the same week. And uh, he's like, well, they lost their jobs. They had nothing but their addictions, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's valid arguments. And we love those people just as much as we love people yeah. and their families who died from COVID or with COVID or whatever. Like, we got to love people. Um, now, I want to say the thing about bureaucracies, but I'm not going to. Here's what I think. Losing hope might be the worst thing for society. You know what Winston Churchill did when Hitler was conquering all of Europe? He started to get on the radio and he started to say things like, hey, we're winning. And everybody around was like, we are definitely losing. <laughs> like, this is, we are done. He started building hope in the British, but we are winning. Why? Because he saw something that they couldn't see. And he saw something that wasn't even a reality at the time. And that's what prophesying is. Prophesying is speaking life into your neighbors when there's no life in your neighbors. It's speaking life into... You know what I said when this whole thing started? Well, you don't know because you're not a medical professional. Well, I have dealt with sickness in my lifetime and I've dealt with multiplied lifetimes of fear. I said, devil, you can't get us sick with COVID and kill us if it's not my time. That's not your decision. That's God's decision. And I'll go when it's my time, but I'm not going a second before then. And over my family and over my people, no, God's protection over you in the name of Jesus. If it's your time, prepare your soul, but we're not going before it's our time. Ezekiel says, God grabbed me. Come on up, worship team. God's spirit took me up and set me right in the place I didn't want to go in the middle of all the death stats. Thank you, pastor. And set me down in the middle of an open plain in the valley flew, uh, strewn with bones. He said, you got to face it. Come on, you got to face it, Ezekiel. He led me around and among them. Thank you so much, Lord. A lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones, bleached by the sun. He said, son of man, can these bones live? I said, master God, only you know that. He said, prophesy over these bones, dry bones. Listen to the message of God. God, the master told the dry bones, watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you. You know what he's got to do? He's got to bring the bones over here together with the bones over here because we're the same people. I'll attach sinews to you. I'll put meat on your bones. I'll cover you with skin and breathe life into you. You'll come alive and you'll realize that I am God. Here's what I want to say. Government and healthcare, and we got lots of healthcare workers here. Hey, we love you, but you can't keep us all alive. We're taking that off of your shoulders right now. We'll make our peace with God. Do the best job that you can. We love you. We forgive you. Everybody made mistakes in this. We forgive you. We love you. Just do the best job you can, but just do your job. Don't give the rest to God. 
We believe the best about you. I pray for wisdom for you as you make decisions. I prophesy just as I've been commanded. He says, as I prophesy, there was a sound and a rattling. And the bones moved and came together bone to bone. I kept watching sinews form, then muscles on the bones and skin stretched over them. But they had no breath. So I prophesied because that's all I can do sometimes. Just as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came alive and they stood up on their feet. A great army. They stood up in the place of their greatest defeat was the place of their greatest victory. Here. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, it says in 2 Kings, they spied a band of raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. That's what God's going to do in the next song.